Well, today's our sixth, fifth, I don't even know what week we're in at this point, but we are wrapping things up with resurrection people. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and quickly turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be there in a moment. Ephesians is where we've sat during these weeks looking at what it means to live a fully alive life in Jesus. And I've, uh, I've been encouraged by it. I hope you have as well. As you're turning there, two quick announcements. The first one, I uh, mentioned last week for the first time that next year in August of 2022, I'll be leading a group to Israel. We will go to Jerusalem. We will go to Bethlehem, to Jericho. We will see where many believe Jesus was buried we will go to a place that most believe is Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified. We will walk many of the same places. Last week when I mentioned this, we had over 39, 40 people say they're interested in learning more. And if you would like to learn more, uh, simply sign up out in the lobby at the Next Step table. I will reach out to you. In fact, everyone who signed up, you will be receiving an email this Tuesday with some of the information as well as a link to an online information meeting that will happen in about a week and a half. I'll give you information in that email about that, but we'd love to uh, to open the doors as wide as possible. If you're interested in learning more, just sign up and I'll reach out to you. The second thing, next Sunday, we are going to, as a church, begin a teaching series on the Holy Spirit. My conviction is before a church ever sees the movement of God, the church has to welcome the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of God. And we want to know more about God. Can I get an amen from anyone? And so we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and his beautiful dwelling presence in the individual and in the church beginning next Sunday. It'll be a great time. And I do ask that you be a part of next week and the series that will follow. All right. With that said, you guys ready? Some of you are wondering, why in the world didn't we not get communion when we came in? Well, there's a very simple reason. We're going to take it a little differently this morning at the end of our gathering. In fact, uh, there are spaces set up here in the front and in the back. So at the end, I'll give you some direction on how we're going to do this. Uh, And some of you have asked, well, what about our books? Last week, we had our unforgiveness books that we did. How many of you remember uh, doing this last week? Maybe you forgot to bring it. That's okay. But how many of you remember doing the unforgiveness book? Anyone? Well, this week, if you brought it, we're going to give you an opportunity during communion to get rid of your books. It won't be painful to you. It'll simply be a reminder of what Christ did for you. And so it's going to be a good time, but hang with me as we get to that point. Now, resurrection people. We've said from the beginning of this series that God's heart, God's desire is to save all of you, every part of you, from your nose to your toes and everything in between. And we recognize that we as humans are very complex. We are not simply a soul that is saved from hell, sent to heaven one day. We are, well, this is what Jesus says. He says that you have five parts, doesn't he? He says that you will have a mind or thoughts. You have a heart or emotions. You have a soul, a place of belief in your core, what you hold true and hold on to. We are the actions that we perform, and we are also the relationships, the people at our fingertips. We are these things. This is who you are. And God's heart, when he saved you from sin, was also to set you free for today. 
And so we've looked at what some of that looks like. Oh, if we were to do this fully, it would take forever, wouldn't it? But we've just sort of touched the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. We looked at what it means to live with resurrected thoughts and how that will lead to resurrected emotions and beliefs. We then talked about our interactions with other people. We talked about the way that we... Well, do you remember your shape? Anyone remember your hand, your shape? That God has made you a particular way, that is part of living a resurrected life, is to live into your shape. We talked about the words that we say. We talked about forgiveness and how that is a whole life experience. And today, today we're going to take it home, and I've been so excited about this moment. Because here's the last piece. Are you ready? Resurrected people have been united with Christ and now unite with other people. It's about unity. Are you ready? We're about to go. Are you ready? Here we go. Because what he's going to talk about here is going to, for some of us, clarify, and for others, it's going to confront. But I hope that at the end of it, we all will find comfort in the truth of God's word. Now, when we hear this idea of unity, uh, here's sort of the key idea, if you will, that it's impossible to be one with God and one with yourself while divided with others. So today, as we talk about unity, here's, yes, I thought about it. Here's what I always think about. I think about grits. Any of you know what grits are? Can I see a show of hands for my southern friends this morning? And no, as some of you might be thinking, it is not that Christian rock band grits. I'm talking about the thing you shove in your face that looks almost like baby food. You know what I'm talking about, grits. Um, How many of us would say that, um, well, how many of you like grits? Anyone here kind of like, oh, we are in the south this morning. You can have them with butter. You can have them with syrup. You can have them with milk. I've seen some people fry them. How many of you have ever fried grits? A grit sandwich. Mm, Any of you want to die sooner? You go for it. Grits, grits. I love the story that a guy named John Ortberg told a number of years ago. He's an author and teacher. And he tells the story of a friend of his who visited the South for the very first time, came from Chicagoland, where up there we call those people Yankees. Any of you Yankees? Here this morning. Any proud Yankees here this morning? I see one back here. You're welcome as well. And so this Yankee is coming south for the first time. He goes past the Mason Dixon line to this foreign country called Georgia. And while there he does what anyone visiting a foreign land would do, he goes to this greasy spoon of a blue plate special restaurant for breakfast. And he sits in this booth where I can only imagine the, the menu is sticky and you don't know why, but it is. And he sits there and he looks and he says, grits. Man, I've seen these before. I've heard about grits. I've always wanted to try them, but I, I, I don't know if I'd even like them. So he calls the waitress over. Now, this part's not in Ortberg's story, but it's what I imagine. I imagine the waitress being sort of, a, a, an, sort of an extra full woman who has a beehive hairdo like way up to here. And at least one pencil shoved in. Anyone tracking with me here? She comes over and he says, um, ma'am, I, I, I see you serve these things called grits. I've never had them. I think I'd like to try them, but I'm not sure I'll like them. So I don't want a whole serving. And so he said, ma'am, would you be willing to bring me a grit? <laughs> now, if you're not laughing, you don't know what grits are. <laughs> she looks at him. Darling, they don't come alone. 
Ortberg makes this point, and it's a true point, that resurrected people, we don't come alone, do we? When you came to faith in Jesus, you may not like this, but you became a part of one weird, grit-like family stuck together, not by this weird congealed substance, but by the power of God's forgiveness and grace. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I love what John Wesley said. He's the great evangelical reformer who saw a revival take place in England a few centuries ago. He said that there is no personal holiness without corporate holiness. We're grits together or not at all. It's like the Pulitzer Award winner, Annie Diller, what she says, I love this quote. She says, you can no more go to God alone than you can go to the North Pole alone. Do you remember Jesus' final prayer before he died, the night before his crucifixion? John 17, he's in the garden of facing down his, his crucifixion on a cross, and he prays. And part of his prayer is that you and me... And we would be one. And he says this oneness, this unity would be the evidence of God's resurrection power to the world. The world doesn't care what we say. They care what they can see through us, church. In fact, some of you here this morning, you're not Christians. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. And one of the reasons some of you have yet to say yes to Jesus and come across the line of faith walking into baptism is because you have heard of unity, but you have not seen it within the church. This is fundamental to what it means to be a resurrected, fully alive person. This is in part what Paul meant when he made the statement, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Fight for unity, church. Do not fight against one another. You fight for one another. And he goes on from here to say, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And notice this, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, notice, notice this, it's almost like Paul has a favorite word. Let me see if you can sort of pick it up as we go along. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Quick question. Do you see a favorite word here? What is it, family? There is one, there is one, there is one. There are not many, there is one. Unity is at the heart of resurrection power. That he takes those who've been divided because of sin. He takes those of us who've been divided from God because of sin. And he brings us together as one. And then he makes this great statement. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This morning, before we go to the tables in common union, communion, I want to take you through very quickly four truths about unity because there's a lot of confusion about what is unity, what it is, what it isn't. So let's go. Number one, unity. If you want to jot this down, unity is built on more than proximity. Unity is built on more than proximity. Now, I need to be very clear here. Proximity is important. If you are not gathering with others, it is hard to be unified with them. Some of us, before we hear an excuse not to gather, need to hear a call to gather. But I want to be clear. 
Simply sitting next to someone does not mean you are united with that person. Can I get an oh yeah? In fact, just look to the person to your right, to your left, and you can just tell them, we're close, but are we close? If you're a single man sitting next to a good-looking single gal, you can say, we could be. Slip a number. This is a good day. I'm giving you the option. All right, just that's for free. That's for free. Listen, proximity does not mean that you are actually united. Let me show you why. Are these fellas close? But they ain't united. Tennessee, Alabama, battle for the ages. They're close, not united. In fact, the only thing that unites them in this moment is their equal desire to destroy the other person. Sitting in the same pews with the same people does not mean that you are united with the church. Let me be clear. Coming to church doesn't mean you're united with Jesus Christ. If you do not personally know him, if you've not said yes to him, if you've not met him in baptism, friend, I love you. I want you to know that you may hear a lot about him, but until you step across that line, you are not united with him. It is your day if you've not said yes. It's your day if you've not met him in the waters. But this is the first point. Unity is built on more than proximity. Number two, unity is built on more than agreeing on theology. It is more than simply being... Hey, guys. Hey, Devin. Hey, Allison. Sorry, we were in small group, and then they've, they've moved some, but it's good to see you this morning. Welcome. You got one of your beautiful babies with you. Eh, we'll talk later. So it's more than just agreeing with theology, right? Let, let, let me explain. Now, now, now before, before any of you throw stones, let me explain first. Okay, Theology, theos, put together with this other word, means the study of God. So theology is the study of, the understanding of, what you might believe about or agree about God. It's an important thing. I want to be clear before any of you say, wait a minute, are you saying theology is not essential to unity? No, 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 friends. It is essential. In fact, Paul, did you notice, this is one giant theological statement. Many people, many scholars will tell us that this is one of the first Christian creeds before the scriptures were finished being written. This is one of the things that held the church together. These were their non-negotiables of unity. Paul is a theologian, and he says this is what we agree on. There is one body. By the way, Clear Creek is a part of the one body, but we are not the entire one body. Right now, the rest of the body is worshiping in churches around the world, and the body is worshiping in the physical presence of God in heaven. We are simply a part of the body of Christ, but there is only one body. There is only one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. I wonder, have you met him today? There's not many ways to God. There's only one. There's one baptism, not many. There's one, but hear me now, hear me now. Simply agreeing theologically is not the same thing as being unified. Because if it were, we would never see another church split. Because most church splits, how many of us know, how many church splits take place over secondary matters, not because someone says, I don't think Jesus is God anymore. It's not about simply agreeing on theology. In fact, the apostle, or the the brother, rather, of Jesus Christ. Jesus had a brother? Yeah, he's a half-brother. Same mom, different dad. This brother, his name is James, and he wrote this letter at the end of the New Testament, and the letter is named James. 
Very basic, very clear. But he makes a statement about how theology, what you believe, is not enough to be united with others. You say, really? Where does he say that? Notice this. In James 2.19, he says, you believe that there is one God. And then he's like, great, that's excellent. You should. There is one God. Good job. But notice the next line. Even the, say this with me. Even the demons believe that. But we're not united with them, are we? See, simply agreeing in your mind does not mean that you are united in purpose. What God wants for you and me is not simply to show up and say, yep, I agree with that. Yep, I agree. No, no. He wants us to be so united with him that we are compelled in every way, not just intellectually, because unity will not last simply on us mentally agreeing but not putting the full force of our lives behind those beliefs. Do you follow me this morning? Give give me one of these if you're with me this morning. Give me one of these if you want me to do this again. Okay, yeah? Okay, we're just going to keep going then. Here's the third thing. So number one, it's built on more than proximity. It's built on more than agreeing on theology. And number three, it's bigger than uniformity. Unity is bigger than uniformity. Here's what I mean by this. Sometimes we think for us to have unity, we must all look, think, feel, act the same. How many of us are related to someone who does things sometimes that we do not understand? Anyone confident enough in their marriage to do this? I'm up here so I can do it. Elbows are far away away, right? We are married to people who are different. We have kids that are far different. We have relationships that are different. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Uniformity is not the goal. My goal is not that you look like, act like, think like me all the time, and yours shouldn't be that either. Our goal is a bigger idea. In fact, here's where I get this from. You say, okay, prove it to me, Josh. Okay, thank you for asking. It comes from this text where we've been. Again, this is one of the first Christian creeds. It is also, did you know that many think this was actually a hymn, a song that the church would sing when they gathered? They were singing their theology. It's written in three stanzas or three lines, and you can see where those lines break based on the semicolons. So you have line one, line two, line three. Now, here's what's interesting. Each one of these three stanzas has the name of a person in it. Do you notice this? Line one, there's one spirit. Line two, there's a Lord. And line three, there is Father. What's he saying? There is Father, there is Son, and there is Spirit. At the center of the song of unity is the Trinity of God. The one who's at the center of it all is God. You say, okay, Josh, how does this, how does this prove what you're saying about uniformity is not the same as unity? Come on, you've got to make this simple. Okay, here it is. We believe that there is one God in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Son is not the Father, Correct? Everybody say yes. This Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They are unique in their unity. Are we tracking? So if God, perfectly unified, has unique parts and roles, it's the Son who came from the Father who died for you and me and rose again. It is the Spirit of God who was sent from the Son who comes and now lives in every believer's life, empowering us to do what God calls us to do. If God, one is unique in his person is, is it any wonder that he would make us unique as well in our oneness? 
This is why you have a personality that your spouse thinks is quirky, but it just works for you. This is why you have a passion about certain things. It's because you are uniquely made by God for a purpose. This is why. In fact, let me just give you a very simple illustration. I want to show you the difference between unity and uniformity, but I need some help to do this. So, uh, Easton, Randy, if you guys will come up. Yeah, Cammy, Rachel, come on up here. Just stand right here. By the way, again, didn't our praise team sound awesome this morning? I, I love this. I love this. Well, these are a few of them. I'd like to introduce you to the Clear Creek Quartet. So here's what I'd like to do. Come on, get a little closer. Pretend you like each other. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you an illustration of unity, but also uniformity. Can I do that here? Uh, let's, let's, do a, let's do a song we all know, um, Blue Skies and Rainbows. Okay, got it? Go for it. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven are what I can see when my Lord is living in me. All right, did you hear it? Sang song. Same words, same parts. Did you hear it? That was unity, but it was also uniformity. Now, it sounded great because they have fabulous voices. But something's missing, isn't it? This is not what the Scripture calls unity, church. This is what is called uniformity. First time I ever heard this song sung the way we're about to hear it sung was when I was in second grade. Up until that point, the only time I heard it was with other kids my age, and we all sang the same word, same song, same tune, everything, because that's what we knew. And then one Sunday, I can still remember it, I got chills when there were three or four adults in the room, and they didn't sing it that way, but they began to do it maybe this way. I know that Jesus is well and alive. Do you hear it? That's good. That's good. Did you hear that difference? Yeah, that's good. Did, did, did you hear the way that one part and another part complemented and worked together. They were in unity, but they were not in unison with the notes. Hear me when I say the God of the universe has given us a common sheet music from which to sing our parts. And we are at our best. We experience unity when we sing the part God has given us. That is why each of us has different gifts, different skills. Uh, Let me give you one last example here. Think with me for a moment. Some of us have certain gifts. Right now, right now, in our church, we have some people who think we should not have a student ministry because they work in kids' ministry. And their view is if you can't save the kids, teach them by the time they are out of kids' ministry, abandon all hope. It's over, right? And the reason they feel that way is because that is their gift, put them in student ministry, they don't flourish because that's not their gift. There are others in student ministry who think you don't need a guy to preach or have worship because if you can't save them in youth, then abandon all hope. Why? Because that's their gift. Sean Alex thinks that all you need is worship. That's all we all need. If we just sing more and celebrate more, then no one needs to hear another sermon from Josh. And the whole church said... Yeah, okay, okay. But for me, you want to know what I think we all need? We all need to learn. We need teaching. 
Why is that? Because that's my gift. God creates us differently. Now, every one of us is partially right and partially wrong because unity will take the diversity of the gifts, but the common, hear me now, the common sheet music of the Spirit, what we're called to sing. In fact, you want to know the one thing that can destroy unity? There, there, there is one thing that can do that. So, so let's, let's just try this out. Go ahead and let's, let's just continue that beautiful uh, song, pick it up, and I want you to see what can destroy unity. Go ahead. I know that Jesus so is So they're singing. Well Sounds good. Until this happens. He makes his home. Thank you, Whitney slash Pavarotti. That's good. Now, are you tracking? What does it take to derail unity? One, not, not Easton, no. Okay. Shame. What is it? It's when any one of us says, I don't like the song. I want to sing my own song. Amen. Friends, Jesus Christ has given us the song. We talk about it every week when we talk about the mission of the church, don't we? Now, we have creative ways of saying this when we say our mission is to reach the next person for Jesus. That's just a new way to say what Christ said when he says the mission, the song of unity is that I want you to go out and share the good news with everyone that they may know the joy, the peace that passes understanding. They may receive the grace of God in their lives so that they may be changed. That is the sheet music. Because, and you say, well, how do you say that, Josh? Come on, aren't there other things? Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. He then commissions us. And we are at our best when we sing the song together. So we've talked about, it's not uniformity. And we've shown a variety, but I want to give you, I want to take it one step further. Are you ready? Last thing. What, what would it sound like for this song to truly be distinct in the way we do it? Let, let's do a different song, shall we? Um, do you have a song for us? Let's do one more. God is love. Love is love. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? One song. The sheet music is the same, but each person singing their own part. I just want, don't want you to miss this. Were they unified church? Oh, yeah. Were they singing in unison? No. They wouldn't have been able to sing the song if they had. God has given you a role to play. God has given us a role to play. And the resurrection power's evidence is that we sing together as a church. Can you give them a hand one last time? Now, I want to give you one final truth, and then we're going to the tables together. 
because I don't want you to miss this. We've said very clearly that, well, this whole thing we're talking about, this unity, it's built on more than just proximity sitting in the same room. It's built on more than even just agreeing on theological facts. And it's not the same as us all doing the same thing the same way. But here's the last one. Are you ready? Unity is built on grace. Unity is built on grace. This is what Paul says. You remember, this is actually where we began in this series. In chapter 2, when Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Meaning, you and I didn't earn this. This is, notice this phrase, The gift of God, not by works, so that no one can Boast. This is an act of grace. This, this thing we get to enjoy, it's the gift of God, isn't it? I didn't deserve you. And I mean that. I love this church. This has been such a gift to be a part of this family. I don't deserve you. You're a gift from God to our family. And you didn't deserve each other. Each other is a gift of God to you. And if you don't have a family, if you're kind of kicking the tires, I want you to know something. You can belong here before you fully believe. Now, that's not the same as saying you're saved. But if you just want to know more, if you need a place where you can be loved and comforted, I'm going to tell you right now. And the rest of you, you've got to help me. You've got to back this up. I'm about to make a promise. Okay, so are you going to help me? Here we go. Here we go. I'm telling you, if you are looking for a home, this is a place where you will be loved and welcomed. Because Jesus welcomed us first. So, so, So what is this grace look like? Where, what is this all about? Why does Paul punctuate all this with grace? The entire letter of the, to the Ephesians was about this unity of people because the reality was before Christ, we were divided people. Amen? It's true. Before Jesus came, we were divided from God. True? And so Paul says, because of what Christ did in chapter 2, he says, Jesus has torn down the dividing wall, the thing that kept us apart, and he's made one humanity where there were many. He has united us through Christ because of Jesus on the cross. And the reason he is so consumed with this idea of unity is because in Ephesus, it was a diverse church. If you and I were to walk in, we'd go, whoa, look at this place. Because in this church, you had literal slaves, men and women who were bond servants. You had the extremely wealthy. You had everyone in between in this massive socioeconomic gap. You had people who came from pagan backgrounds and Jewish backgrounds. You, came, you had people all over the religious spectrum. You had people who were Jews and Gentiles who were Greeks and Romans. And what was interesting is because Ephesus, where it sat, it was a port city. This is where travel came, travelers came, where commerce, it was a hub. And because of that, because of that, people from all over the Roman Empire would come, sit, and settle. And they would gather in the church as one. And so you'd look and you'd see a group of people and you'd see a diverse group and say, how'd they get here? I, I mean, how did that person get here? Well... That's the question that every kid asks, isn't it? How many of you remember that day when you sat down with your mom and daddy, you look over at a sibling who you didn't really like at that moment, and you say, how'd they get here? Why'd you let him in? 
I still remember when my third sister, my third sister was being born and I begged mom the night before, (laughs) just keep her in there. I was seven. I didn't understand biology. But we all do, don't we? How did they get here? Well, the answer is always the same, isn't it? They got here the same way you and I got here. How did you and I get into the family of God? Grace. God's grace swung open the door and said, come in all who will. The grace of God is what got us here, church. And it is only the grace of God that will keep us here. Amen? And by the way, it's not simply the grace of God to us, but it's the grace we will now give to one another. You see, when you have diversity within a group, when you have different gifts, different preferences, different personalities, there's going to be conflict. What keeps a church together is that we now model what we have received. Did you notice the words? Be completely patient, humble, gentle, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because Jesus gave that grace to you And to me, it is so exciting and encouraging to know that you're a part, and I'm a part of a giant group of losers loved by God, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're the 15th loser or the 500th loser. You're still a loser, and I am too. We're all losers. So when we start showing up saying, well, we've got a list. Here's what God requires for us to be unified, but we're going to add to it. Be very careful because one day, if you start living by additional standards, one day you will be on a list of people who can't get in either. But the grace of God is what brought us to this place. And it's the grace of God that gives us what we need to continue. For a watching world to say something's different. In a world divided, this is different. For a world that is hungry for hope. The unity of the resurrected people is what God shows as proof of what he can do. So are you ready? Are you ready?